Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another cloudy day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Julian Sutton, Director of Gemini Financial Planning. Julian, hello. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well delve straight in. What is your personal leadership style? Uh, my personal leadership style has, um, like most people, it's, it's evolved over, over many years um, from experiences that, that I've um, gone through as an individual, um, with also me maturing as, as an individual as well. I think my key aspect for, for leadership is that um, you have to engage um, your, your staff effectively. You need your staff on board uh, with the ideas that you have, the direction that you want your company to go in. And there are, of course, many ways of achieving that. Now, when you're engaging with your staff, how do you keep the interest up? We keep the interest up here by ensuring that not only do our staff know what we're doing, the direction we're going in as a company, but also that we are actually engaging them in key decision-making processes that involve them directly, whereby each member of staff feels that they have a valued and a valid input into uh, a small decision, which then has a greater impact on the company. And as I say, the direction the company may go in, um, and they feel that they've actually had an input into that, which uh, which, uh, which I think is uh, is very valuable indeed. So by engaging in a more collaborative leadership style, you uh, enable these uh, people who work uh, for you to feel more uh, tuned into the way that the company is moving. Uh, absolutely. And it, it, it's far more productive um, in that sense to have that approach and to have that outcome based on collaboration rather than simply imposing the decisions made by um, sort of middle-aged, middle-aged gentlemen in a boardroom upon um, upon members of staff and where they've had no input whatsoever. Well, why don't we uh, roll back the years to uh, before uh, you were middle-aged and the uh, foundation of your career? Uh, was there a particular leader or mentor that you worked with or for uh, that has formed you as the leader you are today? I don't think so. I think it's more to do with a, a collection of experiences. Before I went, before I went into financial planning, uh, I was in the armed forces. Um, so the, the leadership style in the armed forces, it's, it's fair to say, certainly when I was in the armed forces, it's fair to say that that style was uh, perhaps unique to the armed forces, but certainly wouldn't have worked uh, in a financial planning company uh, of today. It was very much an autocratic uh, do as I say, not do as I do approach, which uh, to a certain extent you need that in the armed forces. But when, when you leave an environment like that and you come into an environment where people are different, uh, the workplace is different, the culture is different, then clearly you need to adapt um, your management style, your leadership style, if you like, to ensure that you're getting the best out of your people and, and you're all moving together in the same direction. So it's incredibly important to constantly develop your, your own style. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't. I don't think you can necessarily read a book and and understand and, and necessarily get everything right. I don't think you can get everything right anyway. Clearly, uh, we we make mistakes here. I make mistakes, as I'm, I'm sure most people do. And I think it's equally important to admit and recognise those mistakes and to have self reflection and and be prepared to uh, adjust the way that that you approach business, staff, employment, culture, 
environment and all those key aspects to ensure that you're maximizing the benefit for you and, and indeed your staff. In regard to maximizing the benefit for your staff, do you have a, a mentorship or a leadership training program for them? As a small company, we don't necessarily have that per se. What we have is is a culture where every member of staff is encouraged to partake in, in decisions, as I've alluded to already. But certainly, every member of staff is, is encouraged to express suggestions, opinions, and indeed, each member of staff has uh, the availability of, of flexibility with regards to, to their own contracts, um, to their own engagement of employment, um, so that we minimize staff turnover and that we maximize continuity with employees and, and members of staff. So not, not a program as such, but we certainly encourage the involvement of member of staff wherever they feel that um, that their views may be valid or indeed they may have a suggestion. The, the suggestions and the ideas for the business certainly don't simply come from the boardroom. They come from all aspects of the company, which is something that we will continue um, as long as I'm involved with the firm, certainly. Now, uh, passing this mindset on to the next generation within uh, the sector uh, is incredibly important. Um, when you're taking on uh, new hires or even um, giving advice uh, to uh, members of, of the youth, um, what, what advice do you give them? I didn't hear the last part of that. Thank you, pardon. Would you say that again? What advice would you give to young people looking to start a career in your field? I think uh, for anybody who wanted to, um, to to start in financial services, I, I think you need to have a little bit, you need to make sure you have a passion for it, first of all. Um, you need to have a passion for two things. One, the, the role that, that you'll undertake for many years to come, but I think you also have to have a, a passion for providing a service and understanding that with financial planning, the, the role of a financial planner um, these days, perhaps more than more than ever, is is one of a huge. There's a huge level of in, of trust that that is placed in you by by placed in anybody by the, by one's client. We have to recognise that. We have to embrace that, and we have to be prepared to put the client first at all times, uh, whilst ensuring that on on the other side is this the technical the technical knowledge and the technical improvements that will be required by each individual to ensure that they um, they amend their knowledge and improve their knowledge as times change, as regulation, as legislation changes, and as indeed the world changes around them. I know we're skewing off topic here slightly um, into the political arena, but in the current economic state, uh, especially in the circumstances surrounding Brexit, how do you see the market going? That is a very difficult question to answer. Um, my, my take would be that we, we, we see many, uh, we have certainly in my time in financial services, we've, we've seen many, uh, huge items of news come to the forefront. Um, and we've seen confidence in the markets affected, uh, sometimes to a greater degree than others. Um, an example I'll give you will be the, the Greek debt phenomenon that appeared several years ago. And we were warned that it was a, it was a sort of cataclysmic when it came to the, the European economy and, and the impact would be, be far-reaching and indeed grave. But within sort of a matter of weeks, we weren't hearing anything about it at all. And even to this day, when that debt still exists, we don't see it in the, in the news, we don't see it in the media, and it certainly doesn't have a bearing on the markets. Um, whether that will bear out uh, and that will be the same um, the same impact on the market with Brexit, I, I, I'm not sure. But I think in all reality, uh, there is a lot of scaremongering with Brexit, but there are concerns to be had as well. I don't think it'll be as bad 
as uh, many people suggest, I don't think it'll necessarily be as good as uh, those who want to leave would suggest. I think it'll probably be somewhere in the middle. But with the sophisticated market that we have, certainly in the UK, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if Brexit is already priced in. So I don't think we will see huge change, if I'm being honest, although I could be proved wrong, of course. So a pragmatic pinch of salt all around. Absolutely. Steering back towards the topic of leadership, if I pressed you to identify the greatest leader of all time, living or dead, who would that be? Very difficult to answer. I I wouldn't be able to give you one individual. Um, Give me a range. Give you a range. It's always, it's always a tricky question. It is a very tricky question. And, uh, um, I, I, the reason I'm hesitating is because I think everybody's fallible. Everybody has flaws and everybody has mm-hmm. um, mistakes within them. I, I think, certainly from my perspective, one thing I've tried to do whenever I've met people is simply to identify the positives in their leadership style and their management style to try and derive the benefit and you know, almost benefit from their mistakes rather than my own, of course. And mm-hmm. and I think if you can ignore the flaws in other people's leadership styles and management styles, uh, whether they're people you know or not, um, they could be household names, they could be um, on the sports field, of course, they could be in the political arena, they could be, be anywhere. But if, if, if we identify those individuals, their positives rather than their negatives, try and take those positives and um, adapt those positives into, into your into your sort of industry or your field or your way of life, then I think that's, that's the best approach rather than modeling yourself on one individual, to be honest. So take the best of all and uh, meld them together into something fantastic. I have to say, right. it's been absolutely fantastic having a chat with you, uh, Julian. Um, unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, I do look forward to having you on the podcast again very soon. Uh, Julian, thank you. Thank you very much. That was Julian Sutton, Director of Gemini Financial Planning. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex... Uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. 
when you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, well, I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top; is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. 
Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time it may be overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Um, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt 
people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show you. He got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, in most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can think, tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did make then again, laugh, if, you put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, 
you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could, Identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was yeah. Well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but 
the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and- when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, 
thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, Bruce. It's good to, it's nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.